What's up, everyone? I am Kyle Schudick, and welcome to the Stay in the Fight podcast. I am so grateful to have you listening with me today. This podcast is an in-the-field approach to connect you to the stories and experiences of people who are or have had to overcome their battles, those who have chosen to stay in the fight. You're going to hear of resilience, perseverance, and persistence that hopefully relates and resonates with you to show you that you are not alone in your thoughts and feelings and experiences. Our aim is for you to extract a lesson, strategy, or tactic that you can integrate right now so that when things feel too overwhelming, you too can stay in the fight. Welcome, Justin Pruitt, to the Stay in the Fight podcast. Justin, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, man. I, I really love the fact that uh, we're kind of in the same circles, but we haven't really met met, right? So you're involved. Uh, 100%. With, so you're involved with Impact Hero. I'm involved with Impact Hero. You're in a different state um, than I am. So you're up in Oklahoma, right? Yep. Um, and I'm down here in Houston, but some, this organization kind of brought us together to make this happen. So I'm super excited to have you on here and to tell your story and to tell your journey. So to really lead it off, because we haven't heard anything about you, because I don't do cold intros, uh, you know, tell me you know, really who you are, where you're located, and what are you focusing on right now? Man, that's, that's a loaded question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I served in the military. I was in the Army for a little over five years. Combat tour in Afghanistan, 2003. Got out lost my purpose and I've been trying to find it ever since. Mm. Uh, my big focus right now is triathlons. I'm trying something new. I'm finishing one big segment of my jujitsu journey and I wanted to be, basically begin being a, a white belt all over again. And uh, I got into triathlons this year. Nice, man. So, you know, we've had the chance to talk uh, before, you know, we do a little chit chat before just to kind of, kind of warm up a little bit. And yeah, you mentioned you spent five and a half years specifically in the army and, you know, you had your combat tour. And so what, you know, what was your job actually uh, in the army? Yeah. Airborne infantry. Airborne. All right. Yeah. You know, uh, I was a young kid and my recruiter was airborne. So he pushed me towards that. And, uh, I still hate jumping out of planes, but I do it every <laughs> once in a while. So it's, uh, it's fantastic, but airborne infantry the whole way through really enjoyed it. Yeah. You know, every airborne guy that I think I've met just would never trade that experience for the world. And, uh, I've never been down that path, but you guys are such a tight knit bunch of people and I love it. I love the camaraderie, even if you know, you're in different units, like from the 101st, the 82nd to, I don't know all the other ones that exist because it's just like I, I, around. There's only a couple. And I mean, yeah. it, it just takes you screaming airborne and that pretty much, that's <laughs> it. I, I love it. But I mean, we know from guys who have served, especially in countries like Iraq and Afghanistan, that things can and will happen in their lives. And what I'm really well, you're our second veteran to come on the show and uh, you know, the first one, Dave Berlin, right? Came on the show. Oh, and I was yeah. so excited to have him. He didn't even recommend you. I just kind of found you cause we were in the same circles and all of a sudden we were like, Oh, we all know each other. He didn't recommend me. N not oh, from that, fired. <laughs> not fired. from that level. You know, he didn't tell me anybody to reach out to. He's not like go to this person <laughs> specifically. But then I found out when you guys knew each other and had been roommates for a while uh, that it's just going to be good company. So going, you know, going back from that experience, you know, what was that experience that five and a half years in the army like for you? It was tough, man, to be honest. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you a quick condensed story. Yeah. I was 17 and the date was August 9th, 2001. And the recruiter's standing in my living room and my mom has to sign the paperwork for me to go in the army. She looks at me and she goes, you know, what if war breaks out? 
I don't know about you at 17, but yeah, I, I watched a lot of news, right? I was really up to, up to date with the, the current world situation, completely mm-hmm. being sarcastic. Uh, and I just looked at her and I said, you know what, mom, nothing's going to happen. We signed that paperwork and I started my process and delayed entry. And then like most patriotic Americans, September 11th happened just a, a short month later. And I found myself first day of basic training, uh, actually on my 18th birthday uh, for 2002. And that really started my journey of self-growth. I went from there to airborne school, went to ranger and doctrine, and really got a taste of my limits as a human from like a physical and mental place. Yeah. I, I got injured a little later on. I blew uh, my ITB, Oof. a lot of problems. So my lo- loss of purpose started pretty early. And I actually found myself pretty angry because I wasn't uh, at the expectations that I had envisioned for myself when I went into the military. I ended up in Alaska, which I am not a cold weather person. Uh, I was very young. I didn't hunt. You know, I didn't go hiking in the mountains. So yeah. for me, Alaska was, I'd love to say, not as fun as it could have been. I'd love to go back if I could. And then after going to Afghanistan in 2003, 2004, I, I come home, uh, find myself divorced, like, you know, 86 to 92% of the other veterans that go out and deploy. And then they PCS me to Fort Riley. And uh, that was kind of the the end of my journey. I had been injured in Afghanistan uh, and then also in Alaska due to a bad parachute uh, jump. One of, mm. It was obviously my last one. I didn't, yeah, I didn't do any yeah. more after that. You get it. But I ended up getting medically discharged in 2007. Okay. Man. So, so you had two injuries. So, you know, let's, let's hit into the, which one came first, the one in Alaska or the one from Afghanistan? The one in Afghanistan. Okay. Uh, I, for that one, we had taken a lot of uh, inbound rockets Mm. and uh, mine was very minimal. And I wasn't even really aware of it until I had gotten out and sought care through the VA. Uh, I had hit my head on one of the concrete barriers. Mm. And it, along with my incident in Alaska, created a traumatic brain injury. Oh, wow. Wow. So it was compounding injuries then. So you had the first one where you hit your head on a barrier, and then you had, um, you had a fair, what we said uh, is a failed parachute. Yeah. So in, in 2005, we were coming back to do our first jump in Alaska since we had returned from combat and the jump masters were dealing with a new landing zone. It had been extended and they were just trying to figure out how to get everybody out of the bird appropriately. And the first passive jumpers didn't go as smooth as possible. Okay. That left a guy on the left side of the bird who had never jumped uh, as the first man or what we call a cherry blast. Mm-hmm. and then me, three men back, and by the time I had jumped, he decided to jump at the same time, and we hit on the backside of the bird, and my rucksack pulled his reserve, and then his mane also went, so it created this U-shape. Wow. I ended up going into his mane, and then mine went above. Somehow, G.I. Jane-like, we get separated. I climbed out of his risers, and we end up getting sharked, where someone takes our lift capability out of our chutes, and it creates a partial malfunction in our chute. It turns into what they call a cigarette roll. You see it where it uh, Mm. is all rolled up, and uh, I ended up smacking the earth a little harder than you're supposed to. Man, how high up were you? Um, I honestly, I blacked out. The last oh thing I remember seeing was the tree line. Yeah, uh, I had just released my gear. You drop your gear away, you don't land with it. it probably yeah. hurt a little bit. 
Um, but I had released my gear and the sudden change in velocity created me blacking out. I mm. was very fortunate. I hit a snowbank. The guy that had created the original problem hit the ground. They medevaced him out. Uh, it was, it was definitely, definitely, uh, physically painful, I guess is a good way to put it. Yeah. So how long was that recovery from that? I would say that I'm still honestly recovering from it. I mean, I, I still have the, the knees, the back, mm. the neck problems, um, but that's turned into a, a lifelong of doing yoga and rehabilitative process for me. Yeah. Yeah, man. So, God, we hit it hard and heavy up front. I, I, I love it. It usually takes us a long time to get into those, but that's, you know, I don't think we realize how, how things can compound, right? Just these different events, whether it be something physical, right? Like taking a rocket blast or falling from a parachute, or going into a divorce when you get home from a deployment and, yeah. and how those things can compound. So how would you say that those compounding events really showed up in your life? Like how did they start to affect you? Man, uh, I'll tell you first off, my mindset was in the wrong place. Mm. Um, on July 2nd, when I was deployed in Afghanistan, I had gotten a Red Cross and uh, the wife that later divorced me had sent me a message to let me know that her dad had killed himself. Wow. So everything I was dealing with was really just like this huge ball of undealt with trauma. Um, just being deployed and what felt like being forgotten, mm. you know, to coming home and being told that, you know, maybe you should sleep in the other room and then being handed divorce papers to being physically hurt. Yeah. You know, all of that was, you know, small weight that just kept adding and adding and adding. And when you come home from deployment, to, in, in my opinion, and I know it's been categorized by others, but you have that Superman complex, you know, mm -hmm. um, I made it, nothing's going to hurt me. And I kind of had that same mindset, you know, I, I didn't want to be vulnerable. I didn't want to explore those pains and it all caught up with me. Uh, it, it took me leaving the military in 2007 and it all super hit me, uh, causing all kinds of mental and uh, physical pain, substance abuse, mm. All, all that typical path that a, a lot of people that experience trauma go through. Oh man. Yeah. I, that's something I, and I think we talked on extensively before was that the experience doesn't really, it doesn't change where you're going to end up. Right. I mean, from, from trauma, it could be, um, look at all the different things that happened to you. And then we'll go take a look at some other veterans that you and I know. And when they say, I've experienced this. I've experienced, you know, having that wrong mindset, that Superman complex. I think a lot of us are very familiar with that, you know, un unbreakable, untouchable um, to when it hits, it hits hard and heavy alcoholism, substance abuse, rage, frustration, domestic violence. Um, what else is there? Suicide, suicide, ideation. Oh yeah. God. I isolation. Think we, isolation. Yes. Isolation. It shows up. And what you hit on was something a lot of people, I'll hear it in their story. And I'll say, you were just, like this person and this person is, if I could get you in the same room with them, you would realize that you're, you're, you're no different. And you said something that really kind of resonated with, with me is that during that time um, in Afghanistan, you said, you know, you felt like being forgotten. And what did that really mean to you? So how did you feel forgotten? That's, that's heavy, man. Um, I didn't know how to fill my own love cup as a kid. Mm. So when you go off and you do this thing where you've been told it's this like valiant action and you're, you know, defending the honor of the country. And then I got, I, let me start with this. We were in a place, we were in the Kaus Bowl, uh, FOB Salerno, if you want to look it up, if anyone's checking this out. Pat Tillman was there, uh, name dropping, just so you can kind of get an idea. This is basically like the deep South. Uh, we're not too far off Pakistan. Well, the thing was, is we're the first Americans to take over this place. 
we didn't get a lot of airdrops. We didn't have a PX. We, you know, barely had phones that went out. We didn't have a cool KBR chow hall. None of those things when we showed up, we barely had toilets that worked. We lived in tents, you know, it, it's those kinds of things. It was rough. Mm. And that exposure coupled with, uh, not being able to love myself and then not getting letters from family as you know frequently as anybody over there would would want them and then my wife at the time uh, basically just stopped communicating with me she had fallen in love with somebody else uh at the air force base that we were connected to praise her man she 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 found her true love she's still with the guy he has kids Hey, that's beautiful. I'm glad that they did that, but it really took a toll on me. Mm. Uh, and I really did feel forgotten. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it's like being on a long vacation and, and you just don't get to correspond with anybody. And mm. it, it really kind of broke me down over time. Uh, it's, it's, it's putting yourself, it seems into isolation without actually putting yourself purposefully into yeah. the isolation. You're forced into it. And so I've talked to a few people and when they talk about their own isolation, what they've done to themselves in their house, it's almost like they're replicating what they've gone through before, especially with veterans, right? Um, who we know are taken out, you know, when they were on active duty or deployed, they were taken out of society and then put someplace with just a bunch of people, but they'll still isolate even by themselves when they're there, which is kind of uncanny. Once we peel back those stories are like, yeah, even when I was there, I didn't really talk to my guys unless, you know, I, I had yeah. them, but I was still, I was isolating within isolation already. Cause they started to, it already started to manifest. And I really like how you said you couldn't even love yourself. And when we get into this idea of, of, of loving yourself, I, I think sometimes it gets misconstrued, right? It can be a little crass to some people the way they think of it, you know? Um, but, but it's, it's truly a thing that some people really don't understand. What does it really mean to love yourself? Well, for me personally, I didn't even know who I was. Mm. I was so young. Uh, my father died when I was seven weeks old. So I had a lot of uh, lacking mentorship and what a, what a grown male is. So I wasn't very mature. Mm. So I really leaned on other humans and the way they responded to me based on like how my energy was and that lack of maturity in that personality. I, I wasn't the most loved human when I was in the military. Yeah. I just, I wasn't a good human myself. I didn't have those quality characteristics that uh, I do today. And it, it just, uh, I lacked it. That's all there was to it. I, I didn't have pride in my own actions. I was not comfortable with my own being. So it was just one of those things where I couldn't go and just be happy with who I was and the situation I was in. Mm. And how long did that last for? Oh, man. Um, I would say it took me until I was about 30 to really start to learn to love myself. It's been a, it's been a really long journey. To live an authentic life, I think, has been the biggest change for me. Yeah. To, to truly uh, know who I am and what I'm passionate about mm. and my love for other humans. You yeah. know, I, I truly, like they say, you know, you have to be able to fill your own cup before you can pour into others. And I had to learn that, you know, I was uh, asking other people to pour into my cup when it was broken. Yeah. Yeah. Because you just don't know what it what it looks like. I mean, if you're lacking identity, right? Or, and I don't think we're ever truly lacking identity. We just haven't really looked and see who we truly are, right? I mean, mm -hmm. look at look at all the 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 the, the self work that needs to be done, and all the stuff you knew all along, right? It's just mm -hmm. it just doesn't seem. How do I put it? In society, right, we're trying to live up to these other expectations of other people. As you had said, you know, you're surrounded with other people who are maybe putting these expectations onto you. So you feel that's the way that you have to go because you have to conform instead of, and it's not not conforming if you finally step into your own identity because we are all individuals. But yeah, we have to play this huge game where we feel we have to. And right. yeah, man, I'm the same way. It's until my 30s, right? That I was like, okay, who the hell am I? Who, 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 who is this guy? 
and, and, and what are we after? And yeah, I, 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 it's a common thread. You know, guys have separated. You separated in 2007. You said it wasn't until, so I'm assuming you were in your 20s, five years. Yeah. Yeah. So what, an eight-year journey at least? Yeah, <laughs> at least. Yeah, at least. And I find that so common, man, with so many other veterans I talked to who haven't even come on here yet. You know, they said about six, seven, eight years before it's just everything just compiles up. And that's what it sounded like, the same, same time frame for you. So when did you really start to recognize that this was becoming an issue and it manifesting into a problem? Um, I believe that there was one huge point in my life where I realized who I was and what I was being in this world wasn't acceptable. Mm. And uh, my, my wife, I love her so much. And she just looked at me one day and we were having an argument and she goes, you're verbally abusive. Mm. And that was really hard, you know, because the awareness of me impacting her like that, when I promised myself, I, I would never abuse a woman. I grew up in an abusive family. Uh, my brother's dad was an alcoholic we stayed in a woman's battered shelter when I was young. And it, you know, when you step between two parents, when they're fighting like that, you know, you kind of get the idea that I'm never going to be that. human. Mm. And I always told myself, I'm never going to abuse a woman. And I didn't ever think about that being from a verbal standpoint or a mental yeah. standpoint and coming from, uh, from the four agreements, you know, oftentimes when someone is hurting, there's only one way to get rid of that. And they spit out this poison. They project their anger and their hate. And I had so much bottled up inside of me. I was taking it out on the one person that loved me. Mm. And I, I would just kind of uh, throw this, you know, little quips of hate, or I would speak in a demoralizing way because that's how I was shown. You know, I didn't have that male role model that showed me the right way. I had drill sergeants that showed you how to yell at somebody to motivate them. I don't, yeah. I don't yell. I speak loud enough so everyone can hear, <laughs> you know, and that's yeah. how I treated yeah, it. I and I'm, I'm an, uh, I'm so an familiar. ego guy. Yeah. I had a lot of ego and she's a real empath. She's empathetic and she loves, you know, wholeheartedly. And it was just somebody that I could, unleash on and she took it mm. and that was such a disrespectful thing to do yeah. and that really broke me down and i said something's got to change mm. man that it one it's all too familiar because i see it i've 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 been the the asshole i've yeah. been there you know like you're really being an asshole and we i think in our in the community that we we come from and not and i don't want to draw the segments out but again, I see it happening so often five, you know, five years later, the alcoholism finally manifests into something like that domestic violence, or it, now they're into substance abuse. Alcoholism is a very real substance that people turn to in that it takes it. It almost is like it takes a tipping point. Like it has to, which is difficult to say that you have to become, I've said this before in a video, like you have to become, you have to recognize that you're being a villain in order to go yeah. into the journey. And for a lot of guys, it, it just happens over years. So tell me about the years between like when leading up to that, right? Um, looking back, what, what all did you recognize in those, those years as it was manifesting into this point? Um, you know, from an, from an ego standpoint, it wasn't me. Mm. Uh, I was a victim. I was a victim of my circumstances. I was a victim mm. of the way I was brought up. I was a victim of not having the right mentors in my life. I was a victim because I was hurt in the military. You know, nobody loved me. And all those things really kind of piled up and they created two divorces that just kind of continued to strengthen that mask of victimization. Mm. And I did the, the same route, man. Uh, I turned to alcohol to the point that it was like, all right, well, I can't drink liquor anymore. That's not healthy for me. Mm. So I'm just going to wake up and have beer with my fruity pebbles. <laughs> and man. 
then there was the rule mm. of, you know, no, no booze before noon. Yeah. Anytime you've got to put those rules out there, it's probably a bad thing. God, uh, luckily, uh, painkillers make my nose itch. So I yeah. didn't really enjoy that. I'm, I'm not a pill guy. Um, uh, so I found myself on this path of self-destruction. It's, it's funny because we're really good at that. Yeah. Uh, from, from a, a masculine standpoint, maybe even the military, uh, my buddy Dave Berlin says, we're the first ones to jump on the grenade. Yeah. And we do that. And part of that isolation, uh, we, we continue to do that. We self-destruct. Mm. So to the point that I didn't have any passions, I didn't know what to do. Um, I was really lucky because somebody reached out to me and said, Hey, do you want to go to try this jujitsu class? Mm. And that was in 2010. Of course I had jujitsu. I was really lucky. I had a drill sergeant all the way back in 2002. He was a big fan of UFC and he loved jujitsu. He's the guy that's like, all right, well, it's Saturday and Sunday. You guys aren't doing anything. Let's go out here and let's grapple. So I really liked it. And plus, you know, um, from that self-destructive point, I, I did a little MMA and I liked being punched in the face because it was a way to not feel the other pain I was dealing with. Mm. So I, I went and I tried this jujitsu um, and that really started to change my journey and, and crack that ego Yeah, because it, it's really difficult to go in there and, and get beat as many times as you do when you're beginning something and not go, it's okay. Yeah. And that was kind of my journey to get started. Um, I had gone through a lot of different jobs that I failed at. And I, I didn't have a very good relationship with failure. Hmm. I, I didn't like failing. So if I met a roadblock, I would try to find my uh, way around it or, you know, dig underneath it or try to jump over it. Yeah. But I wouldn't deal with it, you know. Uh, so all of those learning processes happened, even to the point that I had gone and sought help from the VA for uh, a therapist mm-hmm. and right away the lady's like you're combative and I'm like oh yeah I'll show you and I never went back but I did go out and seek education because of that incident I went and I got my master's in psychology and it helped me understand me mm-hmm. a little bit of me therapy I had to really introspectively look into my situation and compare it to the, you know, the books and the teachings that were going on. So I kind of started to dig myself out of the post-traumatic stress that I was going through. And I will tell you, hands down, the one key that I had that stopped me from complete isolation is I met a beautiful woman and Mm. I'm still married to her today. And she really uh, put her hand out and, and brought me up from the darkest well. Wow, man, that is so, so deep, right? I, 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 can, I can go back and, you know, if I look back in my life and, and in looking for the people that I know and, and just replace a few of those words and those instances and come back and it's the same person. And it's so, it's so crazy, you know, because... You go in, like you said, what, what stopped you from going into that deep isolation was, was connection. Now, this happens to be with your wife, but, but think about community too, right? So um, what if somebody doesn't have, have, a, have a spouse in their life? You know, does that mean that they can't connect with somebody and have that, that has that profound impact? No, I, I think you're 100% right. It is connection. Mm. Uh, you know, we're, we're definitely broken and we need that one human. I don't care if it's a spouse, a brother, you know, someone in your community, whether it's your church or just a guy you met on the road, the journey, whatever it is, that connection that stops that isolation and self-destruction mm. is that pivot point. And unfortunately, uh, a lot of times when we experience trauma, we push those people away. Yeah, we, we reject them because life is about energies. We're mm. in such a negative energy state that any positive energy is really hard for us to take on. We literally magnetically reject it. So you have to find that one human that sits there and goes, listen, mm. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. It doesn't matter what you do. The, 
biggest asshole you can be, I'm still here and I'm going to be here. And you just pray that that human's with you for as long as possible in your journey. Yeah, man. Oh, I totally, I totally get it. Cause it's having that persistence, right? That determination from somebody else who, who is willing to, to get down there with you. I, I always love the story. And it, I think we told this on, on the conversation um, we had previously, and I hear it all the time is like when you find the one like veteran who's down in the fighting hole, right. And they're down there and they feel like they're by themselves. And then you have the guy who gets down there with them. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, well, you know, I know how to get out. And so here it is. Yeah. Here I am. And it doesn't have to be. And again, I go back into like our community. We still isolate within our community, even while they're healing. Um, and oh, yeah. it could be anybody. You're what? Look, for anybody who's listening, you found a spouse who's willing to get in that hole with you. Because even if she hasn't had that way out specifically from your exact perspective, she's willing to sit there and and just be determined and persistent to sit by your side, right? Yeah. As you work through. And that is something I think so many people on just a fundamental level, you could look and somebody is there for it. Maybe you've just rejected it or you're just blind to it, but there are way more people out there who are willing to go through the fight with you. And, oh, that's, I love hearing that, especially when it comes from relationships. I have such a strong bond with my wife, you know, we've been together for so long. How long she's put up with the angry Kyle, right? The angry and the frustrated, um, as I work all of this out and start to do these things, man, you said it was so powerful. I, I love the other aspect that you had. I have to keep notes because my memory isn't always that great <laughs> is, you know, playing the victim card. And that's why I go back and I, and I say villain, right? Cause a villain isn't always a victim, right? But a villain is somebody who makes you feel like you're the victim and that you can be the victim instead of being the superhero. And how, how difficult is it to, to really sit in that victim mentality? Like how, how, how does that really keep you from making any of that progress? I think honestly, when you wear that victim mask, mm -hmm. it's just, uh, it just is something to make you feel better about being where you are. Mm. Like it's real easy to keep that mask on, you know, it's real easy for that to be your excuse. It's real easy to say, Oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm hurting because mm. it's really hard to put both feet on the ground and stand up. My wife says it really well. She goes, you know what? You can go and hang out in misery, but don't unpack your bags there. No, oh, man, you're not going to stay hang out. I get it. You can experience that. But the moment you start labeling yourself and you, you do that even to your mind, and we talked about mindset earlier, mm -hmm. when you reinforce that mindset that you're a victim, that's what the universe is going to bring you. You're mm -hmm. going to be a victim. You're going to keep experiencing victim stuff, period. You know, you're going you're gonna to befall all kinds of just negative stuff. And you're not going to ever be able to handle it because you never faced that adversity. Yeah. You never strengthened that muscle and decided to be a hero, even in your own story. You know, mm. we're making our own movie. You're playing your role. What, what role is it? Are you the victim? Are you the villain? Are you the hero? Are you just a bystander? Mm. You know, what role do you play in your own movie? Yeah. So how do we get, how do we move into being the superhero then? Oh, hard work, man. Uh, so I, I like to look at it this way. I call it baby steps. Uh, if you've ever seen, uh, what about Bob? Mm -hmm. The therapist has this book and he calls it baby steps. And you see this all throughout the, the world, but it's true, man. Baby steps, you crawl, you walk, you run. And that doesn't come without support. That doesn't come without failure but you have to find a clean relationship with it. You have to learn to love it. Mm. Um, like right now I told you when we just first started this, I'm, I'm getting into triathlons. Yeah. Listen, I don't run, I don't <laughs> swim, I don't bike. So it's all very uncomfortable for me. Yeah. And to, to go and do a 10 mile race or yesterday I went and did a six mile trail run, something I've never done with a very experienced runner. Yeah. You know, and then today 
instead of going, you know, I worked really hard yesterday. I did 33 miles on the bike on Saturday, did a six mile trail run on Sunday. Today, uh, I'm going to sleep in. Mm. Nah, man, you hit it just as hard. Uh, I, I love the saying, being committed to your commitments. Wow. I have a commitment mm. for this month to run 50 miles before November 24th when I'm running a half marathon. Mm. That's my commitment. And if I don't plug away at that and do baby steps, I'm never going to make it. I'm not, I'm not going to show up on the 24th and just run a half marathon because I'm not going to be prepared for it. Yeah. So you got to take those little things, even if it's a uh, hundred feet, man, even if it's 500 feet, even if it's just waking up and stretching in the morning, mm. you've got to take those baby steps to move from where you are to where you want to be. Yeah. You know, I find it uh, really difficult and I've been in this position before and I, I see other people's, you know, they, they'll look, create some big audacious goal, right? But then and write it down and put it all over the place, but still not move towards it. You know, and I can say a few years ago, I was asked like, yeah, I'm gonna come up with this huge goal. I, I don't recall what, what it was because I just, I don't like having that, that negative like thing back in, in, in reminder. Yeah, block it out because it just wasn't, a, you know, a person I remind myself. I love using that reminder saying, yeah, that's not who you are anymore. However, I just don't, if I bring it up and I'm just like, then you, we still have the tendency to sit in those things. It just, it, it requires constant care from here on forward. What would you say to those persons who set that big goal and they're still, even if they're, they're lacking with that commitment, what would you say to them? You know, if they're just kind of questioning their commitment and they're just starting on this journey. I love uh, big, hairy, audacious goals. Mm -hmm. I love those. Like for me, uh, I'm going to run an Ironman triathlon. That is some scary stuff right there. <laughs> 2.4-mile swim, 112 miles on the bike, and then a marathon. All in one day, under 17 hours. Mm -hmm. But I can't do it right now. So what I do is I break it down into smaller segments. I make realistic timelines. I set monthly and weekly and daily goals that are realistic. And then I surround myself by humans that have accomplished these goals or some part of them that will help me reach it. Because I know that failure is inevitable. Mm. I know that I'm going to stumble. That's the whole point. You have to seek failure. You know, when you're lifting weights, you don't just go in there and do a thousand reps of five pounds. Nope. You got to switch it up, man. You got to go in there and you got to, <laughs> you got to leave and you can't move your arms for the next two days. Yeah. I'm not saying you do it all the time like that, but you, you know, you find the balance between it, but you are going to seek failure and mm. to have that connection with other humans that are like-minded, it's huge. I, I literally, uh, I'll tell you this quick story. I was in Walmart and when I was walking in, I saw an Ironman sticker on a car and I said, I'm going to find that guy. <laughs> and I'm walking around with my wife and she goes, listen, you're weird. Don't do that to people. And I saw this little kid walking around with an Ironman hat and I said, I'm going to follow this kid. Yeah. Like also kind of weird. Don't necessarily suggest it. <laughs> I followed him and he walked up to his dad and I said, Hey, excuse me. I have a goal one day to do an Ironman. He goes, all right. And we sat there for 45 minutes, typical fashion in the middle of the aisle, Yeah, you know, and talked about this goal. And mm. he pointed me in a small direction that kind of pivoted my compass to help me go towards what I wanted to do. Yeah. And from there I keep seeking help. You know, mm. we, I believe it was Steve jobs. You know, I got here by standing on the shoulders of giants mm -hmm. that came before me. And that's really what it is. You know, I try not to reinvent the wheel and neither should you, if, if another human's done it, you can do it. You just need to follow that pathway and uh, just, I, again, stay, stay committed to your commitments. Yeah, man. I love how you put, you know, you love the big, hairy, audacious goals. And the big thing is, is I see a lot of people, they'll set that big goal and then they don't break it down. And now I've been down that alley. And I've talked to probably every person I ever have met who set a big goal, you know, doesn't put it in a bike size chunk saying, okay, well, I can't run, you know, a marathon, right? I can't run 26.2 miles. However, what I can do today and just being uber like realistic about it and to, to that point, I think one thing, I think what people see is they set this big goal and that's the bar you have to meet. And if you don't, you know, get there, then, then it is a failure. And yeah, failure is inevitable, right? It's going to happen. But 
what did you start doing? Let's just say for the running, I set a goal of, I want to be able to run two miles continuously. There's no shame in that. There's, I mean, that's, but I think that's the thing is that the shame comes in. I haven't met this big one yet. And maybe they didn't even set a timeline for setting to running that, that, that full triathlon, which I'm okay with. But in that meantime, I set the timeline to run two miles by, uh, or running 50 miles a month. Like you said, November 24th is your deadline. Yeah. I'm going to check in with you on that one. Um, oh, no, it's going to happen, brother. That's I'm all gonna, there is to I'm, it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it just because, because it's a good thing to, to always do. Now that I know something about that, now I can just be like, hey, where are you at? More accountability is better. And then asking for help. I don't yeah. think we realize how many people out there, if you just ask them, I'm struggling in this, or I don't know where to go, and sitting down and asking for a lunch. Like I, I did the other week with, with my brother-in-law for a different thing we were talking about. I would have never done that years ago. but hey, this is what I'm thinking. I don't know what to do. You're the best person I can talk to. And then all of a sudden we're having this deep conversation that you thought would never happen yeah. in the middle of a Walmart aisle for, for yeah. God's sakes. And they it's, can teach you so much. Mm. I mean, so much when you, when you just reach out to that human that's already done it. Uh, just, just understanding a perspective that maybe you didn't get. Like I originally went into this Ironman and I said, I'm going to compete in this Ironman coming up in seven months. Mm. Never, never swam, never ran, never biked, you know, uh, and, and the guy just goes, Hey, that's dumb. That's, mm. that's just, it's dumb. And I know I could do it. You know, I'm going to, I may stumble through it. It may take me all 17 hours or I might drown in the water. I don't know. But by making it more realistic, I had someone suggest, why don't you go volunteer for this Ironman? Oh, oh I didn't think about that. Yeah. Maybe I should just go see what the Ironman's about, uh, you know, and, and then giving myself the realistic goal of two years. You know, he asked me right away, he goes, have you ever ran a marathon? I said, no. He goes, we well, should probably start there. <laughs> yeah. You know, have you ever biked a hundred miles? No. Well, you should probably start there. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's one of those things where breaking it down uh, even doing a ten k or a half marathon or any of those, now I have the support group that keeps me accountable. Mm. So my road to fifty miles this month, I have a group I check in with, and I say, "Hey, listen, I ran like right before we got on this, I ran a five k." Yeah, you know, and that was just me being accountable to my road to fifty miles this month before I do this half marathon. I need to get up and make that happen. There's no one else that's going to do it, but I was able to do a little win and I'll send it to my little group and they're going to go, yeah, congrats. You know, and it's not a big deal, but that fills my cookie jar. So when I'm out there running that half marathon, uh, you know, I can go, Hey, listen, I put in the work. I know Mm. it's going to happen. Yeah. I love it, man. I, I, I love when people finally realize that they can reach out, they can get the accountability, they can figure things out by having other people help them figure it out. And, and when you hear that happen, you know, so many people want to go at it alone, right? You come up with this goal. And even if you're in your growth journey, and you say, I, I still have to go at it alone, but we already established we, we we're from, from a tra- trauma standpoint, we're not broken, but what we are broken is we've broken connection to other people. Yep. And so you put that connection still in isolate. place. Yeah. Still isolate. And that is a broken connection. If it doesn't exist, yep. that is a broken connection. And then being able to just say, okay, it can take me the, the journey, the timeline shouldn't matter, right? It shouldn't matter whether it's five years or 50 years. The yep. fact that I'm, that I'm on it and I'm going to get there and one day you're going to run it. And if you set the hard date for it, good. If you don't, but you know, you're working towards it. Great too. Yep. I don't ever take away from that. The one in between thing, and I love going back and forth in the stories because it's I zigzag a lot, um, is that you know we had talked about. So you started to self learn all these things when you were going through your uh, master's in psychology, mm-hmm. and you started uh, what people don't and they don't always hear the phrase is this post traumatic growth journey, and mm-hmm. so between doing that when you had this you know um, for lack of a better word falling out with your wife, which you're still together so you didn't fully fall out, um, but this point of this nexus of like, oh my God, things aren't going so well. I'm gonna have to find something out to where now you're setting goals to run marathons and triathlons is you had to go on this new journey, this new path, right? To get here. So we understand this is kind of where you're going and all the mindset and you had this position here and you started finding that, but how do you really go on that, that, that journey, that post-traumatic growth journey? So for anybody who's not familiar with post-traumatic growth, this is kind of what we're going to talk about post a trauma when you realize and you choose this path forward to start setting these awesome goals. Yeah, man. So 
with that for me personally, I, I call this the adversity loop. Uh, and it's really been a main focus of how I've overcome trauma. The first thing for me is, am I coachable? Am I willing to change? Uh, I had to really think about that because for a long time, I just, I wore that victim mask really well. It was quite molded to my face and it was kind of bedazzled, uh, you know. So for me, it was really hard to step away from that. It took that awareness of my wife saying, hey, you're verbally abusive. Mm -hmm. And I had to make that change in my mind first, plain and simple. I'm living this way, dot, dot, dot. I don't want to live this way anymore. So that hard change has to come uh, right after awareness. Jocko says that it's extreme ownership. And for me, that's my second step. You have to go, listen, that's not the human I'm going to be anymore. And from there, you really need to take action. And these actions don't have to be grandiose. A lot of times it's just simply planting the seeds, you know, planting the seeds in the sense of finding role models of what you want to be and start strengthening your mind towards that vision, you know, to, to decide to be a better human. And for me, it took a lot. Like we talked about earlier, we talked about being an asshole. Mm -hmm. Well, for me, I didn't know how to communicate to people anymore. My first baby step was at a drive through at Starbucks. That sounds really silly, but I would go to Starbucks and I would pretend to be nice. You know, you would figure these people get paid to be nice. I, you know, uh, it, it should be easy, but I had to figure out how to verbally communicate to these humans, you know, and for a long time, it just sounded like that fake salesman, like, hello, thank you for my coffee. You know, it was horrible, but it's that little step that started pushing me towards being a better human. And mm -hmm. as time went on, I was able to fine tune those things into being more articulate and being more authentic in my words. And I'll tell you that a lot of that came from a man that employed me, uh, educated, good experience myself. And I went to work for this gentleman, he paid me $10 an hour, uh, but it's the best job I ever had because I learned so much. He actually paid us to read books, starting with Think and Grow Rich, all the way through a high echelon of different books. And for me, that has been the biggest, I mean, I can't even stress this enough, but garnering those perspectives from different books on different experiences throughout my life and how I see them, and then also how I interact with my environment and humans around me, including my own uh, mental state. So mm. those things have really changed and augmented the way I live. Uh, the, the books is probably the, the biggest thing yeah. for me to overcome the hurdle of being in post-traumatic stress, uh, not letting that label define me anymore. Uh, it, it's, it's not something that you have to be, yeah. you know, your trauma doesn't have to define you. Like you don't have to walk around with a cane and you know, the, the veteran hat and your, your vehicles all veteraned out with your purple heart on your, your sleeve. And you don't have to be that guy all the time. You don't have to live in sorrow and live in trauma. And that's not just for veterans. That's for civilians too. You know, mm. There's a lot of people out there that have been hurt in the world and they identify by that. They say, listen, uh, I'm a, a childhood sexual abuse victim. Okay. I get that. I totally understand. Uh, but no one's sexually abusing you now. You're, you're choosing to be in that mindset and it's something to step away from that mindset, no matter what it is of trauma and choose growth. That's what we talk about, you know, hashtag I yep. choose growth. And that's what it is. It's waking up every day and going, listen, I'm going to start molding myself into the human I want to be rather than unpacking my bags in misery. Mm. I love it. Shout out to Mike Nash for hashtag I choose growth. Mike Nash. Mike Nash. One Love of my mentors, man. Great human. Oh, he's such a magnificent person. Yeah, he's he's definitely one that I'm gonna 
now that he has a hard spot, I'm going to go in there with the microphones and we're going to go, we're going to go at it. Cause I think, you know, everybody has that story that we got to hear, but I love, I love being able to, to, to hear that, right? Like going through, like, this is, this is what choosing growth looks like. And does it ever stop? That's, I, I don't think so, man. Yeah. Uh, and that's again, back to that being committed to your commitments. Uh, you know, whether it's trail run to an easy 3.2 mile run or, you know, going in and choosing to be kind to your wife or your kids mm. or doing your best. Uh, I, st- I read every day. Yeah. I consume audio content every day. I struggle and I fail every day. But the point is, is you have to go, listen, I'm going to continue to choose growth. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You have to stay committed. And, it, and it's going back you know, on my own, I realize now you just can't stop it. Cause once you go stop and you stagnate it, the, the weight of all the other things that you, that you were holding on to can easily creep back, you know? Yeah, for sure. It, it just, and I don't know, have you ever had a point where that's happened where maybe, you know, we'll call it a relapse for, for lack of a better word. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say my, my drinking was probably one of the biggest things mm. and that's a, to me, that's a big mindset thing too. I allowed it to be a thing. Um, but that stuff comes back into your life. And it's really the focus, I should say, is not just drinking, but it's bad habits. Mm. You know, I will say that life is seasonal. So yeah. when you first getting started at this, you got to realize that you've reinforced bad habits for a very long time. Yeah. So it's really easy to go, listen, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to crush today. And that alarm clock goes off and you go, now I'm going to sleep in. It's really easy to do that. You slip into that. And if you don't have that right structure in place, uh, things do happen. But the, the reality is, is those failures are good. That failing is what we want. Mm-hmm. You know, find comfort within that failure because it's going to happen a lot. You're, you're a white belt at post-traumatic growth. That's all there is to it. So yeah. when you go and fail, like the Thomas Edison quote, you know, you learn how light bulbs don't work. Mm. You learn how post-traumatic growth doesn't work. Yeah. You learn that getting into an argument over something stupid because you took it personally when, you know, all she did was ask you about the toothpaste. Yeah. That didn't work, you know, and that's just one of those things, man. It's, it's part of crafting this good human you're going to be. We wanted to set our compass half a degree to the right and start walking. Yeah, you're going to find a point where you got to go around a tree that fell and you're back on your same path, but you got to go, listen, cool, assess it, become aware of your failure, become aware of your adversity, take ownership of it and say, listen, I, I messed up. I'm not where I need to be. Adjust, get back on track, make sure you have the right people in place to help secure that. And keep going. Don't get stuck there. Don't unpack your bags in it. Mm. Just say thank you for the experience. I understand that I failed, and get back at it. Man, I don't think, and you know, I, I've I've been guilty of this even recently. Is like not saying, oh, this is just the experience, you know, that I can find something in, and because we we all are creatures of habit, and we all love to kind of go back and just say. Even if you have the extreme ownership, it's really easy. It is really easy for you to say, well, that wasn't me, right? Well, this experience is kind of, you know, it's, it's this fault instead of me looking at it from a point of like, okay, what can I change and what can I do about it? And once we say, okay, I didn't get out of bed this morning, right? You hit the snooze, snooze button, um, scroll through the internet, scroll through Facebook and anything else. Well, what, what, it was nobody else but you. Right. Yeah, for sure. And when we shift into that perspective, it's, it's, it's so powerful. And then we start again, like you said, going through the baby steps and making the change. Okay. Well maybe, maybe if I do Tom Billy is one of my favorite people to listen to and he gives himself 10 minutes to get up in the morning because he realizes he still has that little bit of bad habit, but at 10 minute mark, he is going to be out and out of bed. So yeah. if he ends up checking email or scrolling, that's okay. He gives himself that, that, that leeway, which I think is perfectly fine. Some people are grace. way too rigid. Yeah. Grace. Oh, love that word. A little yeah. bit of grace. But at 10 minutes, his ass is out of bed and he's going on with his day. So if he wakes up at 6.30, 6.40, that is when the day starts, um, which is perfect. You know, I think sometimes with this, when people especially are their white belt in their post-traumatic growth journey, they become so rigid that they talk themselves out of it. Yeah. Right. They, 
they, there's no grace. There is, it is, or it is not. And if it is not, then I don't, I'm not meant for this. And that is sad to me. Um, specifically because I've been there before. I think we've all been there before who've chosen this journey and finally realizing saying, I'm, I am more than capable of doing this correctly, but I'm also very capable of slipping back into bad habits. But when we pick those bad habits up or we reinf- or we try to reinforce them or we act on them again, understanding that it's not going to change today, maybe not tomorrow, but maybe the day after that, maybe the month after that, the week after that, that is it's powerful to hear, especially when you have that in a conversation with somebody else. Um, let me see. So, you know, the message of this, this, this show, we, we call it stay in a fight. And the reason is, is because a lot of us have just, we've resigned. We were those assholes, right? We were those people who, who weren't moving forward. We weren't choosing growth. We weren't on a, uh, on a, on a, on a journey because we don't know what we're fighting for. So I have a two part question. And actually one of this is for you to answer. And the other one is to give, the audience, their, their share of you. And so first I want to know what are you fighting for? And second, if you have to tell somebody else about this journey, about the stay in a fight journey, about the post-traumatic growth journey, what would you tell them for somebody who's, who were, who was where you were at seven or eight years ago? Okay. So let's, I guess, start with what am I fighting for? Um, I, I would say for me, I've learned that this journey isn't even about me. Mm. It's about others. Um, I've learned how to fill my cup. I live authentically and I chase my dreams daily. And I've learned that for me, staying in this fight is to change other humans or give them the tools so that they can become the real versions of them. Because so many people struggle with the things that we struggle with, and it's not a conversation. People don't reach out. That isolation is a real thing. And they wear this mask of victimization. And, some, man, it's, it's been on for so long, it's, they don't even know. You know? So for me, it's, it's going out and impacting other people's lives. It's going out and, and making things just 1% better in this world. That's why for me, I stay in this fight. Mm. Yeah. The next one. Yeah. yeah, If you have to give that advice to somebody who's just starting it out, what would you tell them? Love yourself. Mm. Love yourself. Have grace. Know, Know that no matter what happened that was traumatic in, in your life, that you are loved, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where trauma is real. Trauma is growth. You know, if you look at the realities, there, there was this biodome and they had planted a bunch of trees in this biodome and everything was growing and it was fantastic. And the trees got to a certain height and then they fell over. And that's kind of weird, right? But the reality was, is there wasn't wind strong enough for these trees to find strength within themselves to stand. And we deal with that. Sometimes we don't face that adversity. We don't have that wind put against us that makes us strong. And then if we do have it and it's excessive, we interpret it as a negative thing. Mm. And the reality is, is, we need that adversity. It, I call it the blessing of the long struggle. Because the, the thing is, is when you struggle, there's going to be a day that someone's going to sit next to you and they're going to go, man, I don't know what to do. I'm lost. I'm struggling. This is what I'm facing. And you're going to go, listen, I know I was there and I know how to get us out of this. And that person pours a little bit of that cup into that human. And that tiny little bit may be enough to pivot them to find post-traumatic growth and go on and carry out impacting other humans in the future. Mm. And that's so important to me. Oh, that's amazing. I love it, man. I love it. I'll tell you what, it's been great having you on. I'm so grateful that you accepted and we were able to just have this conversation. I, I, I learned so much more even from other people who are on a very similar, the same journey 
because we all have these different perspectives and just being able to hear that over, over this conversation has been fantastic. You know what? We have people that when they listen to this, they, they, they might it's definitely something's going to resonate and we want to know where can people get a hold of you if they really want to talk to you? Man, if you want to reach out to me, uh, I guess the, the simplest thing is you can find me on social media. I run a company called Knock on Wood Custom. You can reach out through that. Or you can find me on Facebook, Justin Run Right Through It, Prue It. Uh, either way, just, just message. Uh, I will respond to you. And if you're in a local area and you want to meet, we'll go grab some coffee at 5.30 a.m. or we'll go catch a run and we can make some stuff happen. I love it, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. I appreciate everything you were willing to share, the authenticity, right? The vulnerability. It's amazing. I appreciate you. Thank you for giving me a platform to, to be able to tell my story and hopefully impact others. Thank you everyone for listening to this episode. We look forward to bringing you new content each and every week through our boots on the ground approach of real and relatable guests. But I'll tell you what, this show cannot carry on without your support. So go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Share it with your friends. Share it with your family. Thanks everyone for listening. I want to remind you to stay in the fight.